Welcome to the Net and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. With Natalie winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they have returned from their full-time family adventure in Europe and are now grounding down in Australia where they are focused on all of you. How can your dream become reality this decade, perhaps even this year? Not only do Nat and Sarah bring us their three-step manifestation process complete with downloading worksheets, but also their realities of failed attempts and some of the frustrations that color their path. They believe that this life journey was never intended to be jolt-free, but rather a powerful trip down the raging rapids of life. Each week, the Nat and Sarah Show will navigate the epic lives of their mentors to uncover how they use their own manifestation process to produce dreams that are available to us all. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah Show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop-style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with founder and CEO of I Stay Safe and the Tick Talk Track solution for kids. I got it. She is a woman on a mission to help parents feel more secure about their kids and promote safety for the most vulnerable in our communities. Karen Catwell was like many new mothers preparing for their transition back into the workforce. While anxiously wondering how her first child would brave their first big school experience. This woman, however, decided to follow the thread of her safety concerns and not stop until she developed the smallest wearable technology for kids in the world. This woman is not fooling around. And apparently it did not matter whatsoever that she had zero knowledge about technology. <laughs> she went on to develop her own bespoke software and app to link to the watches so that people across the country could now locate their loved ones from their smartphones. And most recently, with the acquisition of another company, they have extended into personal safety solutions for aged care and most notably domestic violence. So I'm looking forward to diving into the life of this female entrepreneur who never lets her ideas sit on the table, not without turning them over, prodding, poking, and discovering until she comes up with solutions that transform the community around her. So Karen, you ready to dive in? Sure, let's go. Okay, this is the only non-coronavirus conversation happening in all of Brisbane <laughs> right now. So, uh, you, because we're on... We're not in close proximity, so we're all good. <laughs> exactly. I can breathe on my computer and nothing's going to happen. So, it's all good. Exactly. Isn't even the podcast space. You're all safe. She's not breathing on you. So, look, I am excited to showcase the new space that you're playing in and... Um, that space is how you contribute to the protection of victims of domestic violence and their families. But I'm conscientious that before we go there, 
Um, I really want to be able to help people understand Karen the entrepreneur. So did you come out of the womb this way? Um, what were the first glimpses of entrepreneurship in your life? I think like if I think back to my childhood and um, when I was going through school, I was one of these kids that was always questioning, which in my schooling years got me into a lot of trouble because I was always questioning the teachers, you know, like, is that right? Or should we do it differently? Or could I try it another way? And I wasn't really one that liked following the rules. So I was always kind of pushing the boundaries. And I think that's kind of an essential trait of most entrepreneurs is that you're kind of looking for different ways of doing things. So I would think I always kind of had it in me, but it wasn't something that as a child, I woke up and was like, right, I want to have a tech company when I get up, or this is what I want to, what do I, I want to do as an ambition. Um, but generally through high school and then also into my, um, my career, into my working life, I'd always been someone that sort of asked the question, could we do this better? Is there another way that we could do this that was more efficient or more, um, more suited to the needs of the end user? So I, was, I think that kind of questioning nature has always been there. And if you can imagine, like, take us back into your house growing up. So I get you were a little bit maybe challenging at school but <laughs> as a little girl, because I have a little girl. And so what were you like and how did your parents react to some of the dreams that you had as a little girl? Well, I think, um, I think one of the nicest things about my parents is that they, they always allowed me to try everything. So they were very encouraging and that, so my dad was in the police force and my mum was a nurse um, growing up in the UK. And then um, when we came out to Australia, they, they did, uh, dad went on to, to do law and mum went on to work in um, drug trials and doing um, monitoring for clinical trials, um, mainly in oncology. So um, they both had pretty amazing careers themselves, but they were always very encouraging around um, trying anything new. And so I was one of these kids that wanted to give everything a, a go and, and they were very supportive of that. Um, if it was something that was slightly risky, I think something I remember back from my childhood is my parents always said, well, we're not going to tell you you can't do something, but could you at least do it in the comfort of your own home? So they, they gave a very nurturing kind of environment. It was like, we'd rather know that Karen's doing something here where we can keep an eye on her than somewhere else where she might not be taken care of. So that was kind of, I guess, their parenting style. Um, so I did have the opportunity to try a lot of things, um, which was great. So I'm, I'm getting a sense that perfectionistic wasn't your way you were just wanting to give things a go is that sort of the mind that you were as a little yeah, girl yeah I think I, I kind of think that if I mean I, I definitely have a nature that is, is a bit controlling and I think that's that's kind of where I have pushed myself to learn certain things because um, I'm one of these people that it's, I find it hard to delegate, which is something I've had to learn as I've gone into to executive management. Um, but I've sort of been the person that was like, well, I'm going to figure out how to, how to make this work so I can do this because I want to make this happen. So I'm not going to rely on somebody else to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to work it out and I'm going to do it myself. Um, so that's certainly been one thing. Um, but then also I think this, this um, desire to try things, but if you, as an entrepreneur, if you were too much of a perfectionist, I don't think you would actually end up getting a product to market because you do get to a certain point in an entrepreneurial journey where you have a minimum viable product and you have to sort of say, well, let's just put it out there and see what the market says and just we'll run with it and tweak it as we go. 
And so when you were, were there any test runs that you, whether it's a lemonade stand or were you like selling things to your friends, did you have a go when you were in high school? Um, I don't know that I was necessarily doing like lemonade stands. Um, when I was going through high school, I was, I was heavily into drama and acting. So I was doing a lot of, um, I was doing a lot of things in the arts and I was getting a lot of creative, um, I guess, I guess expression out in that, in that respect. So I was quite heavily involved in musicals and drama and things like that. So that was kind of my outlet, um, for my creative side. Um, I think I started sort of becoming a little bit entrepreneurial into my, um, into my, my years when I was started working. So I can remember I was running an advertising agency quite young. They were owned by an American company um, here in Brisbane. And I was, I think I was in my, like my late twenties and they, in, in that particular advertising space, um, in order to be paid, they used to have what they called, um, they had tear, what they called tear sheets. And if you place an ad in a newspaper for a, for a government department, for example, um, you had to get, get a copy of that newspaper, cut out the actual ad, stick it on their paper invoice, send that to the government department. It then had to be signed off. They had to cite the ad and then you would get paid. And, and this was back in like the early 2000s. And I was thinking, surely there's got to be a better way of doing this. And I said, can we do something electronic? And um, the CEO at the time was like, no, no, we don't have the resource to do that. And I was like, dug my heels. I said, well, that's okay. Within the Queensland business, we're going to develop this. And we did. And we developed a, a digital online tear sheeting facility, whereby then all we needed was one newspaper. We scanned all the pages they were uploaded into our system and we just put the the identity, the, the page number of where their ad sat so that when they got their invoice, they just logged on, viewed it and then approved it. Um, and that saved a whole amount of storage because in our Sydney office, they were having like multiples of newspapers that they had to have to cut out these advertisements. And I mean, I think that was probably the first practical um, sort of extension of my entrepreneurial journey sort of started then more in my career rather than high school. So I hope people are picking up on something that you've been saying because there's sort of this thread of surely there's a better way to do this. Yeah. This little thing that, that rolls around in your mind, um, I would say is an entrepreneurial question. And then what I love about your experience is that you actually keep going <laughs> so yeah I think there's a lot of people that say surely and then the next answer they have is for sure someone else must have come up with this yeah but no Karen you interestingly around technology so you kind of did have a um, you didn't allow that to stop you the fact that you don't know yeah. the next answer so you've had a lot of well not a lot you've had a couple entrepreneurial runs over the years how would you describe the current one you're in and how is it different than perhaps the other ones? I think, um, I think I'm in some respects, I'm a little bit philosophical and, and sort of with the trait that if something's meant to be, it's meant to be. And we've had, like, I also had, um, so after I left that, I went into advertising and I had my own advertising agency for a while. And then um, at a point in time, I also um, had a girlfriend and her and I came up with a little swimwear line when our kids were young. And, and it was just really difficult. Every, every step of the way was like quite difficult. 
But then when I came up with the, um, the, the concept for TikTok track and that sort of safety solution, um, just things kind of fell into place and it just felt right. And I was able to um, align myself with some really amazing people that introduced me to certain avenues, which meant I could access things that I needed at that potentially at that point in time. And I think um, when you when you come up with an idea that is the right idea for you at that point in time, I think it just it just it fits and it just feels right. Um, but then in saying that, there's a lot of practical work that goes into making sure an, an idea is going to work. I, I mean, I did quite a lot of research in the market and identified that there was nothing on the market globally for children in that space. It appeared to be a fairly untapped market. Um, and I could see that as people became more and more aware of the dangers in their world, that safety was going to be something that was important to them moving forward. So, so that while there was kind of a sense of it just felt right to be doing it at that time, there was also a lot of practical research and investigation that I did to make sure it was a viable business idea. So just, I just realized that you and I've had this conversation, but let me allow the podcast community to be privy. So. Basically, you've had your first child, mm -hmm. you're getting ready to go back into the workforce, and all of a sudden, he's going to the big school. And so we talked a little bit about, you know, the difference between the little, cute little kindy, and that's our language here in um, Australia, or in Queensland. But then what came up for you around when you were envisioning your son, and then how did that lead to surely there's got to be a better way, because I'm sure that was... <laughs> came up for you. Um, can you, yeah, just take me, take everybody through that little moment. What yeah, happened? Sure. So I, um, at the time, um, had a boutique advertising agency and I was involved in sort of advertising and marketing. And my son, the school that my son was going to was on quite a large area of land. And as, as you just mentioned, when your child's at daycare, you know how many times they've been to the bathroom, how many times they've eaten, how long they slept for, like, you know, every minute of their day. But then when they go to school, all of a sudden you don't have that amount of information and you're not as close to what the child's doing. So I was thinking, oh, well, what if he walks away? From, what if he runs away at lunchtime from the Oval and nobody notices that he's missing? Like, obviously that doesn't happen, but as a first time mum, I was a bit nervous. And I had come across through my advertising agency, people using um, RFID radio frequency identification in a, um, in a wristband to check in and out of events. And I was like, what if I could check my son in and out of school? Then I'd know he was safe and I would know he was there. And so that's kind of where the idea came from. And then I was like, surely there's got to be a better thing. And so started looking at it and um, through some people that I know um, in my family who have uh, sort of knowledge of the GPS satellite navigation side of things, they were like, it's got to be GPS, Karen, it can't be RFID. And this is the technology that you're going to have to use. And so that sort of, that started my journey on working out what was going to be the best application for this device that I wanted to develop to keep my son safe and ensure I knew where he was. When you start having an idea, do you start talking to your friends about it, your husband, like, do you just start, is that what happens for you? When an idea is brewing, you kind of want to test your, your style of market testing? I think I kind of, um, first of all, I kind of do some online research to kind of go, well, someone else already doing this, you know, so I kind of have this idea. And I think before I go telling all my friends, I've got this great idea, I better kind of 
figure out the data system and go, well, I bought one of those last week. Um, <laughs> so I do, a little, <laughs> I do a little bit of research online. I do a little bit of investigation. And then when I kind of think I've got a clear idea in my head of what it is I want to do, then definitely I, I talk to my friends and family. I get their inputs. Um, and I, I talk to, to colleagues or people in my networks that have experience in, in the area where maybe I'm lacking and, and just try to get a feel for whether it's viable. Yeah, cool. I love, thank you for being so down to earth, by the way, because the whole, the people that we attract with this podcast are people that are sort of at that place where they're like, am I going to take a step out? Am I really going to follow the thread of my idea? And so I want to hear a little bit about your appetite for risk because you know, I know you think of the desire to create safety, you look it up, you start talking to your friends, but what is it that allows you to not even question that you didn't have experience in technology, for example? What allows you to keep walking the walk? Sure. Um, I think, I think I've think i always had an inherent desire to learn. So I think I was, okay, if I can, if I can learn how these things work and I can get my head around that, then potentially I can make something here. So, so for me, I'm a big question asker. And as I go back to what I said in, in school, I was getting in trouble for asking too many questions. So I'm always someone that questions a lot. And I think for anyone out there that's going along an entrepreneurial journey, never stop asking questions and never think that any question's a silly question because invariably what I found was by asking questions, I, I managed to make connections with people that were just more than happy to give me their advice and their knowledge. And they were people in areas that I didn't, that had more experience than I did. So for example, I needed to find how I was going to put SIMs in these devices because the TikTok track solution is, is a watch that ended up becoming the end piece and they needed a SIM card in it. And I wasn't a big corporation that could go to Telstra and say, can you just give me 20 SIMs so I can test out my idea? But through asking questions, I was put in contact with someone who supplies SIMs to small businesses and they supplied me a few and he's become a good friend and, and was amazing in our journey as we built the business to help us with that, understand that side of, of the technology. So it was, I think it was a confidence in being able to ask questions and understand the information that was given back to me and then be confident that yes, I could actually create something. And I, I bought, I bought three or four different devices like watches that use this technology from China and got them here and figured out how to use them and put a SIM in and got my head around how it actually worked before I started trying to develop my own. And I want to just highlight something for people because in your story, you describe about how you're a questioner, but you also listen and take in information from other people. And what I get is our own relationship is a demonstration that you are open and you trust yeah. people and you, you just put yourself out there because you don't know what's coming next. And I know that's why we're here right now. It's yeah, a, yeah. you know, and I can see all these different ways that, that we're interacting with each other. And yeah, so I just want to highlight that for everybody because well, in my experience, I haven't seen people be successful all by themselves, you know? And so, and so that thing, I just wanted to highlight that for people again, who are going, okay, I want to do this, but they just sit in their basement and they try to nut it out alone. Um, but you're a reflection of someone who went out there and just said, even to the Chinese manufacturer, it's like, yeah. tell me, tell me what, you know, I I'm learning, you know, and you were open. So, um, 
so what are some of the challenges? So clearly it's not all sunshine and, you know, unicorns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as my daughter would be, um, what are some of the challenges that you faced in growing this current company? Um, I mean, cash flow is always a big one. So when you're, you're trying to start a company, um, you're a lot of the time, especially with most people that are starting, starting out with an idea, you're either working full time or you're running another business or you've got, you've got an income that you have to try and maintain. And then you need money to obviously start this, this, this uh, idea of yours off and get it off the ground. So um, that's always a challenge. Um, I was really fortunate that I had amazing friends and family that all kind of like chipped in once they could see a, a belief in my idea. They were like, well, we'll, we'll, don't, we'll give you some money as a shareholder. We'll buy some equity in your company. And that was how I raised the initial kind of 150,000 to get things started. Um, but that also meant that I needed to invest in getting a good shareholders agreement, a good structure in place to make sure that these people that were investing money in my idea were taken care of. Um, so cash flows are a challenge, I think. Um, but then also on the flip side of that is when you do have money, ensuring that you have a structure and you have a business plan and you have an idea in place as to how you're going to spend that money, um, how you're going to invest it, because it can run out really quickly if you don't have a good plan in place. So, um, yeah, so I think the challenge is kind of you've got an idea, but then you have to kind of really flesh it out and see, well, how many do I need to sell to pay my to pay the bills and to cover the costs and where do I think I'm going to get those sales from and and so starting off small and then growing I think is important don't try and sell to every country in the world because that will just end up um, using up all of your cash and all of your resources but that I mean certainly I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges managing the cash and so um yeah, it's funny that you didn't even mention this part because I think it's just inherent, but tell me about work hard. So you said often you have other jobs and then you've got this, let's say in your hobby hours, yeah. but you're a mom, you're a mom of two. Yeah. So, so what are some specific challenges as a mom? And also tell me a little bit about your work ethic. So what was required from you in terms of stamina? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's really tough, you know, and I think as women, a lot of the time we try to take all of it on ourselves and we try to um, be everything to everyone. And I think it is, it's really challenging. And there's also, you also, I mean, the other thing that I found difficult as a working mum was reconciling the guilt in that I'm not with my children at the moment because I'm up here trying to do something in the study when I should be downstairs kind of playing with them or doing whatever I need to be doing with them. So. There, it, you really have to be strong mentally, I think, to be able to, to reconcile all of that. Um, I, when I started this business as well, my husband was working overseas. So I was pretty much on my own with a five, five or six year old and a one year old. Um, and I was, so I was working from home with my advertising business because I was able to bring that back home. And fortunately, like my, I have a really good relationship with my sister. So my sister would come to the house one day a week. She'd stay the night. She would help me with like the bookkeeping side of things. And then she would stay the night to give me a break. And we would just like have dinner together and chill out and, you know, have a break. And then the rest of the time I was just kind of juggling. Fortunately, my advertising business, a lot of it I could do online. So I was doing that while the youngest was in daycare and the other one was in school during those hours, I was just trying to get as much done as I could. Um, 
and then try and do some other stuff with this other business to get it kind of up and running. And then by the time I got a significant investment in 2015, the it was a point that I was like, by that stage, it was the product had been on the market for nearly two years. And it was like, okay, I've got to pay myself full time now to be in this business full time because I can't be dividing between the two. And so I was able to then make a transition full time into this business. But it is very challenging. It was challenging. Do you think, did your priorities ever get a bit skewed? Do you ever have moments like where it tips? You know, people talk a lot about life balance. Mm. Um, I'm not sure it's ever in balance, but do you ever feel like things in terms of your priorities, they tip and that then lets you kind of, I don't know whether it's with your husband, your marriage, with your kids, with work, but how do you go with prioritizing things? It is difficult. And I think sometimes, um, it's good to have someone in your life that kind of just pulls you up because especially when you're running your own business, you kind of think about it, whether, whether you're creating a new tech product or a new idea or whether you're just running your own business, you do generally think about it all the time because it's your own business. So it is very hard to switch off. And sometimes you can get into the habit of coming home and, and doing work. And so I think it's important that your loved ones, um, are given permission to kind of pull you up and say, okay, Karen, you're like, get off the phone, get off the computer. It's family time now. We need to sort of like take a break. And I think, so yeah, I would, I would say that give your family and friends permission to pull you up because otherwise you can end up just working too much. Yeah, got it. We, we even discussed, didn't we, where people are going to be working from home and, and the office base is going to be right next to maybe where they eat dinner. So <laughs> people are going to be coming into this um, challenge yeah. that you're talking about in a bigger way, I think. So I do, I want to make sure before we end that we talk about um, both of us currently living in Brisbane. So a lot of you that are international might not know this story, but there was a heartbreaking story of a woman, Hannah, with her three kids. Um, and they were recently all killed by their father. Um, and there was, major domestic violence issues in the past of that story. And so um, how does your company currently collaborate with the community to help women like Hannah? Cause I know this is a newer endeavor, but I think yeah. you're really on trend here. Yeah, thanks. So, so we're um, part of a collaborative project called Operation Family Protect. And um, basically what it is, is there's, so through TikTok Track, we have a we have a solution whereby we can provide a wearable to whether it be the mother, the father, or the children that are suffering from domestic violence that gives them the ability to press a button that sends a silent duress alarm out um, that can either be um, picked up by a family member or can be monitored by a security monitoring center and acted upon accordingly. Um, and, and that's that has been. Um, becoming more popular as, as unfortunately as domestic violence is becoming more topical in the, in the last sort of six months. And so one of our clients, um, Concentric Concepts, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Grant Killen does amazing work with victims of domestic violence. He does a lot of risk assessments with a lot of the um, DV centres around Brisbane and, um, and uses our devices. And we've sort of been talking for a number of months sort of saying, well, what can we do together to provide a, a better solution in this space? Because there's a lot of people talking about domestic violence, but and we really need some some fast action. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so Operation Family Protect was basically created um, just after the incident you mentioned with Hannah, who was one of Grant's clients, unfortunately, um, to bring oh, wow. together um, I Stay Safe cons concentric concepts. We also have a, a senior representative from Queensland Police, um, head of one of the key domestic violence centres here in Brisbane, Brisbane Domestic Violence, um, and a couple of other stakeholders, uh, psychologists and, and people with really good insight into this area. And we've all come together and said, let's put together a package that is funded by corporates or by government that is easily deployed in the situation where someone needs it. Um, at the moment, a risk assessment is done. Someone's maybe identified as being high risk. Funding has to be um, sourced. An approval process has to go through. It could potentially take weeks for someone to actually get the wearable technology that need or the CCTV cameras installed or the escort to court. So what we're proposing we do is we put these packages together so that when an assessment's done, um, a, someone sits within the domestic violence center and says, okay, they're high risk, so they get this package. And it includes wearable devices, it includes CCTV, it includes monitoring, it includes um, personal security. It has everything they need in the one package and there's no need for funding requests or approvals. It can just be deployed straight away. Um, and what we're also doing is working with um, return veterans to have them be the people within domestic violence that can do these assessments and roll them out because we've got uh, there's a huge amount of intellectual property and knowledge and skill within um, ex-SAS, ex-soldiers, ex-veterans, um, ex-police officers that potentially may have been um, discharged for medical grounds, maybe they've injured themselves, but are perfectly capable of providing assistance to, to people in these situations. So we're looking at working with, um, with those areas to, to pull all that together. So we're hoping that in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a bit of a white paper around it with regards to what these packages are gonna cost so we can start raising some funds. Um, and then as soon as possible, roll out these packages to those in need. Oof, I get goosebumps. Yeah, I got goosebumps. I don't know exactly what that's about, but I always know it's meaningful because I think what I love hearing is that you see something going on and you're willing to get right in there. Like you said, what happened with Hannah really drove the timeline. Mm. Um, your willingness to get in there and then to actually think about some of the, the I don't know, you, you put it so much beautiful, you put it beautifully about there's knowledge in these people yeah. coming back from um, like SAS and stuff like that. I thought, oh, that's so cool, I love that. So I guess just to kind of put a frame around all of this, as a mom, yeah. How do you believe you're impacting your kids with your entrepreneurial spirit? I mean, even with what's just happened, your responsiveness to the world around you. How do you, what do you think is coming through for your kids? I'm hoping that they can see that if you feel like you want to create change or if you have an idea that you can do it, but I also don't want them to go forward having this belief that, oh, I can do anything and it's just owed to me. I want them to, I, I'm hoping that they can see through the work that I do as their mum that it does take, it does take hard work. It takes tenacity. It takes persistence. Um, it takes never settling for things and expecting that it's just going to come your way. And, and if, it, if, if you get an obstacle here, try and see how you can go around it. So I'm hoping that the journey that I've been on, they've actually just seen that um, and will 
will take that from, from what I've done in my business. And how exposed are they to your daily, what you do? Like, do they really know all yeah. that you do? Okay. Well, my elder, so Hunter's now 13 and Chase is eight. And so Hunter was my, my model for many years. Oh, okay. <laughs> so as soon as I launched the product, he was wearing a watch. He was in, before we could afford to use talent, he was in all of the photographs. I can remember we launched, um, we launched TikTok track in about April, 2014 and it was featured on nine news and the morning after they wanted to do a live cross on the today show and Hunter had to be with me. And we've just got this beautiful little video that we still have today. He was like literally five or six, this tiny little boy with this little t-shirt that had TikTok track on it and holding his watch. And he was like mummy's model. So he's, he's been involved since the beginning. He's been my best salesman. Um, and now with my eight year old, he's coming through with the same. So they've been in all of the photos, all of the videos. Um, they haven't really had a lot of choice, but to be involved in the journey that we've been on. Wow, it's so great. I wanna thank you for your openness and willingness to talk to a wider community. I know you're really passionate about entrepreneurialism and even with, the, with your kids. And so um, I think this conversation is just the beginning. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.